Welcome back, everyone, to the 11th episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, with Arjun Menon, as always. We're doing another special episode here where instead of Arjun and I doing a main segment and then jumping into our guest interviews, we're instantly going to jump into our conversation for this episode with Sean Syed from Syed Schemes on Twitter and SyedSchemes.com, where we'll be discussing how analysts can tie in film and analytics in the best way possible and applying it to the 2022 season. And then after that, we'll wrap with our normal bet of the week and unhinged tweet. Sean, how's everything going for you today? Hey, things are going great. I really appreciate you guys having me on. I know it's the second week of the preseason, so we're getting we're getting real close to game action. I know we got another episode of Hard Knocks for your Lions, and Dan Campbell just got me all fired up to talk about this stuff. Yeah, Dan. I don't know if anyone doesn't get fired up by Dan Campbell, but but Sean, you know, as usual, we like to share our story of how we got introduced to our guests or one of our favorite things about them. So I think it was it was sometime at the beginning of the 2021 season where I think it was either Nate Tice or Robert Mays. They kind of just like quote tweeted one of your things. And I saw, oh, side schemes like that's that's a, that's another brown dude in the space. And I was he's like, oh, this guy's, you know, a little bit popular. He's, he's doing film work. That's pretty cool. So gave you a follow and instantly I was just flooded with all of these film concepts, these playbook concepts where I'd never heard of before. And I mean, every time you got you or, you know, your brother's post on the Twitter account, I'm, I feel like I just grow smarter as not only a analytics person, but like as a, as an analyst or someone who enjoys football. So really appreciate you for that. And that's always something that I look forward to on, on any given day where I see any of your posts come across. Mm-hmm. Arjun, that, that means a lot. You know, it's, it's great pride for me and our family you know to have three south asians on one football podcast i think that my dad's going to be smiling hearing your guys names uh when he listens to it and yeah i love your guys questions and the the database that you guys put out i think that really helps focus my eyes or really cues me on to something that i want to look at so i just really love being able to marry the film and kind of data aspects of what we like mm-hmm. yeah definitely and, and we're the same way and yeah my with with you it's uh it was a Thursday night game, uh, Seahawks Rams. And I wake up early, like I wake up at like 630 every morning. And so I was, I, you know, I, I got on my computer to start doing homework or whatever. And you were posting at probably like 730, eight o'clock, like clips from the game that just happened the night before and kind of like breaking down like McVay's concepts and how Stafford was playing, which of course was personal to me and everything. So I DM'd you and I was like, oh, do you have like any additional analysis on how Stafford played the night before and you kind of like laid out like all these things for me and everything and I was like oh like like I'm gonna I'm gonna be good friends with with uh, this guy here he, he seems super cool and he knows he knows what I want to hear yeah whenever I put out something from Stafford I know that I know that it's gonna get a like from you Paige and <laughs> hey you know maybe maybe our, our, us putting that stuff out help him get a Super Bowl ring this year you know yeah definitely definitely yeah so can you kind of take us through like your journey, like getting into, you know, being such an expert with breaking down film and scheme and different stuff like that? Well, I appreciate the use of the word expert. I maybe hold off a little bit on that, but I got really lucky. I think I grew up playing football uh, in New Jersey. My oldest brother, he actually ended up coaching me for one year. Uh, He went to a D3 school and was a student assistant under a coach who ended up coaching at bigger schools in college and then he ended up taking over as a pass game coordinator while he was still in school and he went to law school came back coached me really you know just a lot of madden a lot of people sharing resources a lot of free time just pressing buttons into the twitter search of what what does choice stucco mean and just going one thing at a time and i feel like i've been really lucky that people have been open sharing and talking about things and helping me learn and then in that way letting me put stuff out for other people as well yeah, I think I think we can't start our conversation about tying in film and analytics with you if we don't talk about Kyle Shanahan because I mean your pinned tweet is about Kyle Shanahan's wide zone schemes and all the different types of uh, run concepts that he calls and one of the big questions from in this offseason is how is Kyle Shanahan's scheme going to change with Trey Lance because you look at this offense, it's it's pretty much a top 10 offense when you have Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo healthy. And if they were trotting out Jimmy G, that's fine. That's still like a top 10 offense per EPA per play, whether or not Shanahan's um, pass uh, run ratio is, is the optimal usage. But 
under Trey Lance, I mean, we're expecting kind of a completely different offense. Like, how do you expect Shanahan's offense to change uh, under when Trey Lance is the quarterback? And, you know, how do you how do you project it to be in the 2021 season in terms of like their rank uh, offensively? All right. This is the thing I think I am most excited about this year. When just thinking about Kyle Shanahan's system, obviously, like he didn't create every single part of it. He obviously owes debt to obviously Mike Shanahan, to Alex Gibbs, and people have iterated it in different ways. But what I just love about their system is there are problems that offenses face, and this system has answers for it. And look, every offensive scheme, we want there to be answers for problems. But for example, we think of these systems as base quote wide zone, and then teams start to set hard edges. And then last season, you see a little bit more where the interior blocking scheme will be the same. So the system is okay. The linemen aren't learning three totally different things, but you'll pull out a tackle and have someone cracking down. So there's just this magic of a play caller who I think is excellent. And personnel is really a huge game changer for them as well, right? Like, look, having Kill and Yushek is huge. So you can have your wide zone system as your base, but that really does oversimplify it for them. They do use a lot of gap scheme. And in the passing, what I love is it's really progression passing. I think maybe when we were growing up and you see these just crazy things that coaches ask quarterbacks to do in terms of uh, covering just so many different diagnoses of the coverage concepts and then really just having trouble breaking it down while taking a seven-step drop. As opposed to now, I think you have quarterbacks, they can just read space almost and know what their first, second, and third reads are, kind of like an if-then menu which is just a great thing to see. And I think that I'm so excited for Trey Lance because I think that every whatever morning when NGS posts their their kind of passing charts, it just should look so different, right? We saw in the preseason where he throws that top fade out to the kind of top right or top left of the field. And I, I just want to see more down the field passing. I think that the seven-step game can really, really open up. And, you know, as a coach, I think it would just be ideal for you to ask your player and say, hey, go make a play. And I think Trey Lance can do that, right? There's just no shots at Jimmy G in any sort of way. But Lance opens up the run game. He can add the quarterback in the run game. You see these clips from their, I think, their scrimmage with the Vikings where he's he's just like keeping it around the edge from shotgun, right? So maybe there's going to be a lower completion percentage, but I do want to see a higher big play percentage for sure. Because look, it's just, it's hard to grind out drives in the NFL, right? I think defenses are okay allowing three yards, four yards, five yards. But when you get those 15, 20, 25 yard chunks, now you're, I think maybe the total EPA would be higher. Maybe on the statue, again, your percentages of completions and things like that look not as good. But I just want to feel just really more excited for everyone to be able to watch that offense on a game to game basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely with you, Sean. And, you know, one of the things I studied with Eric Eager when I was at PFF was using linebacker uh, tracking data to kind of measure, you know, like how they move against run fits. Uh, and so the the three teams that had linebackers move the least against them in the run game were the Chiefs for obvious reasons. No one wants to move against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the Ravens, you know, no one again wants to, is very confusing when Lamar Jackson is handing the ball off or anything. And then the 49ers were the third team that linebackers move the least against when run fitting. And that's just because Kyle Shanahan, you know, makes it torture for these linebackers to know exactly where the ball is going. So that was with like an immobile Jimmy G. If you're adding in a Trey Lance there and Trey Lance is like big, like you can see him on the field, like compared to other players, like, like he's going to run some people over this year. Like I, I'm like that, that run game is going to be very exciting and, and, you know, going to be really cool to kind of see all the variations that come from it. Yeah. And I think that when you see Trey Lance, right, he, he is, he's a large person, right? Yeah, I think that's a good point that he is someone that I think is going to be a downhill runner where a lot of times I think people kind of stereotype quarterbacks in general that are, quote, running quarterbacks, but they think of them as getting around the edge. Look, I think that, yeah, I think he's going to he's gonna run over some people this year for sure. I think one thing that you brought up is is the idea of, like, explosive plays, and I, I totally agree with it. And, like, I hate like always bringing stuff back to my chargers, but like this was a problem the chargers had last year, whereas like the chargers just didn't generate explosive plays. So they'd have these like 15, 16 play drives that would end in three points or sometimes zero points because someone would eventually mess up on offense. And that's one of the things that I think um, the, the Niners offense lacked a little bit is that explosive element through the air. But 
with Jimmy G, the Niners um, offense is explosive after the catch, but I'm wondering what you think will change the offense in terms of how explosive they can be when the ball is in the air. Like, do you think they can push the ball more downfield or is that something that you think is still going to be more of they generate explosive passes per yak and, and things like that? I, I think Kyle Shanahan certainly hopes that they can push the ball down the field. I think that's why they wanted to get a guy with an arm like Lance. I think we always talk about just dagger concepts or anything with kind of really deep back backside digs, a part of the concepts. And it's not a one-to-one parallel, but thinking of how McVay expanded their offense with Matt Stafford, again, it's not a perfect parallel, but I think, Tej, I think you may have tweeted it, but about how everyone, oh, like we can boost an average quarterback's play. And then immediately McVay and Shanahan immediately bump out of that and try and get kind of a quarterback at the next level. So look, if you have Justin Herbert that can convert four fourth downs on a drive, more power to you. But I think Kyle's got to be really excited to have Trey, uh, how he's looked in preseason so far. Of course, preseason, we only talk about good takes. We only take things that are confirm our priors in preseason. But, <laughs> man, it's fun to watch the ball come out of his uh, Trey Lance's hands. And I'm excited. I, th- I think it's going to look great during the regular season as well. Yeah, and and you know that's a really good parallel to McVay because you know the, that's like that's why he made the trade from Goff to Stafford is to increase the amount of explosive plays and you know what the Rams were able to do last year is McVay had the tightest formation in the league every single year as the Rams head coach and, and play caller last year you know they they had I think it was the tenth tightest formation in the league so they were able to you know, widen their formation because of someone having better arm strength for them do more seven step dropbacks. Uh, you know, our friend Matthew Edwards at StatsBomb wrote a really cool article this week about how formation width, as it increases, the ex- your explosive play rate also increases. And so I thought that was a really cool, you know, kind of uh, corollary to, you know, what Kyle Shanahan probably wants to do. He's he's very used to those tight formations as well. But if they can get into wider formations that really spread out the field because of Lance's arm, I think it'd be super cool to to lean into the explosives there. I think that's really interesting because when you think of kind of condensed formations a lot, this is oversimplification, but I know Gary Patterson talks about when they go wide, we kind of go inside. When they go inside, we go wide. And kind of from a bunch, there's only a certain amount of things you really can do. But from those spread formations, I think, and you can also motion into kind of condensed looks or really having more versatility the more field you cover. Now, I do love, obviously, how much condensed formations that McVeigh has used in the past, but... I think it's no coincidence that when they have someone that can really spread it out, that they not get away from it in whole, but do get into other things for sure. Yeah, it, that that's that's the part. Like, I don't know if they're going to spread it out more with with Lance and and try to give Lance more space to operate. I think that's going to be such a cool um, point of emphasis, especially early in the season. But you know, talking more about the the wide zone scheme in general and and not just Shanahan and McVay but he talked about like Matt LaFleur or like Zach Taylor on the Bengals or like I guess like Zach Zach Taylor is more of an inside zone guy but like the whole zone scheme um that's kind of like the the reason why teams started transitioning more to too high and and um hiring people like Joe Barry and and Brandon Staley and Edra Evero like they're trying to get more of these Fangio Staley guys on as defensive coordinators what adjustments do you think teams that employ a zone zone run scheme will have to make to be able to be too high in the next coming years? I think that, look, ideally, if you can run a team out of too high or if you just have a team that's going to continue to sit in it and you can, you're patient enough. I don't think offensive coordinators are patient by nature, but if you can take those seven, eight-yard chunks at a time, I really do think that's a big way to do it. I know, of course, there was a lot of criticism of Pat Mahomes last year uh, and thinking, well, maybe you should just take the check down sometimes, right, and get those kind of 10-yard gains. And even in too high, you can still find ways to get your matchups where you have your high-low concepts that are maybe isolating one one defender and kind of turning things into one-on-ones on zone or like in a certain kind of zone. And you can still use your play-action beaters against too high. I think that some of the, quote, freebies, like, on boot and things. And now obviously you'll see more clips. I think you see against Justin Fields in the preseason of teams like kind of slashing two people off the edge. So ideally, you know, you can think of some old spread systems are literally as simple as look, if they're in too high, we're going to run the ball. If we're in one high, we'll take our pass luck. And if you can run someone out of too high, I think maybe the defense is actually going to be okay with that. Obviously I think of the pack 
Packers versus the Rams, or okay, can we kind of manipulate the box and how we're doing that to force it down? Because at some point, there is more likely than not going to have to be one of those guys fitting down at least a secondary force in the run. So maybe old school, and maybe maybe you guys don't love it, but let's run these guys out of too high. No, I'm I, I'm actually kind of with you there because I think my solution, if I was an offensive coordinator, to beat too high would be to lean into twenty and twenty one personnel if I had like the guys to do it. And now you mentioned that Packers Rams playoff game uh, in, in 2021, where they used AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, you know, together on a lot of plays and use them in motion. And that, you know, that's, that's like kind of how you beat light boxes. And, you know, I see like the Vikings doing that with Dalvin cook, maybe lined up in the slot this year and Alexander Madison rushing or the Cowboys doing that with uh, Pollard and Zeke. And, you know, I think a lot of teams like have, two running backs because there's so many good running backs in the league right now. Right. That's that's why I like the Delta between like a top running back and a mid tier running back. Isn't that much. So many good running backs in the league teams can roll out two running backs as a way to get an extra defender in the box. And like, we already saw that in the chiefs uh, preseason game uh, where eight of 11 of the snaps with their starters against the bears were, you know, either in uh, two running back or two tight end sets. And like, that's how they're going to get an extra defender in the box so that they don't have to play against so much too high. Yeah, and it's so funny to just constantly see the pendulum of football from, okay, we're going to spread them out. We're going to go into four open, two receivers on the same side. Then these teams are going to be more pass coverage heavy. We're going to get into wide zone and boot. And now we're just going to go back to some old school peewee football, put a fullback and a running back behind the quarterback and, and hand the ball going forward. So I think the Chiefs are a great example of, of course, you know, we'll take preseason with a grain of salt, but it's going to be really interesting. And then taking those base concepts like, Simple things like ISO, right? Where a fullback is just kind of going to the middle linebacker and they can do it from their spread sets uh, where I'm not sure how much Travis Kelsey is going to be doing it, but someone kind of in line where they have the ability to obviously pass, but still doing kind of like condensed run looks. Yeah, I have to say, like, I'm so scared of what Andy Reid has de- like devised this offseason. Like, I- I've texted our, our me and Tage's mutual friend, Connor McQuiston, who's an intern with the Cardinals. Like, I've texted him, like, I- I'm just sorry that you have to game plan against Mahomes and Reid week one. Because, like, I mean, they're showing you 21 personnel in, in the preseason, but, like, that, that might not be what they're actually going to run during the regular season. So you you game plan during that first week and you start running more base packages maybe or more nickel and then what if the chiefs come out and just run empty or they run because they have they have more quality depth receivers than they do in, in years past and it, it was interesting i know jeff schwartz tweeted about how he's excited for the chiefs to use 12 personnel last year when i looked at how the chiefs performed their two best personnel packages were 13 and 21 now admittedly the sample sizes on those personnels were 70 and 60 very small compared to like the 900 or 200 snaps that the chiefs run out of 11 and 12 but still like since more teams are playing too high and literally every team in the nfl last year played too high at a higher rate than their season average against the chiefs than what except one team which was the broncos in week 18 so really a, a meaningless game for both teams so I, I, I'm really curious to see what the Chiefs do, but my, I have a question for you in that sense, like getting an extra man in the box is, is super valuable if you're an offensive coordinator, because when you force the defense to get extra men in the box, um, that increases your, most likely increases your EPA per pass. But do you think getting an extra man in the box is only possible by the volume of carries, or do you think that's possible simply by your rushing efficiency? I, I, it shouldn't just be based on how many times you run the ball. That's, that's really my, my hope is that it's not just based on that. I think it should also have to do with your formation, your personnel. Now, of course, when you look at the 49ers, they can have Kittle and Yushak doing so many different things. But I think, yeah, when the Chiefs come out in I formation, they're probably going to draw one more person in the box and they still can obviously move people out. So I'm going to be also curious to see how much they start in one formation then just end in a formation that's so totally different and how they can utilize people that are those kind of H-back personnel. So maybe not a different, a direct answer to your question, but I do think that formation shell is, is going to be a, a big deal for them. The ability for them to go into one and go out of the other and really force different looks. And even if you're just a team that look, they don't have to run power 50 times a game to force a team to be able to fit it multiple times per game, right. And to spend time, really physical energy during 
during the game, but also mental energy during the week thinking, well, you know, what is going to happen with this this week? What RPO are they kind of going to attach to it this week? And, you know, as you said, like, what has Andy Reid been doing this offseason? I think we would all pay a lot of money to find out. And we'll, in a few short weeks, we're going to be able to see it. Yeah, it's it's literally the Brian Windhorst meme with what's Andy Reid been up to this offseason? I want to know something, <laughs> something crazy is going to come out of Kansas City week one. I can tell you that. But, you know, so the Raiders got like burnt by the Chiefs, you know, twice last year by like they did play more too high than they usually do. But they basically played cover three a lot more than any other team that the Chiefs saw. So they're transitioning to, you know, a, a different defensive coordinator this year that is going to play a primarily too high scheme that we think. And so how do you kind of see that transition happening with the Raiders? Uh, You know, how long does that transition usually take? And like, what are some of the things that you think has to happen for for that to be successful? Well, I think that it's really, it's on coaches to put players in the absolute best position possible. So it's going to be interesting, interesting to see where they have, you know, a safety personnel that is more of a down in the box safety and, you can start in two high schemes and play cover three, right? You're, you're going to have to change certain sort of rules. But I think that what's interesting in the difference between in the pros and in college is in college, they sometimes will have players for as long as four years, uh, even if maybe for the best players, two or three, but they're in the classroom so often. They have so much practice time through this, the summer and the spring together, whereas in the NFL, they don't. Now, it doesn't mean the NFL obviously can't put together a system, but, like, I'm really excited to see the Broncos this year. And, like, I think they're going to be a real hive mind in that certain things in these systems, i just not sure how quickly you can learn it without really trusting the guy behind you, having seen how many times, like, you watch these linebackers on films that you can see their arms pointing in four different directions, and they know that the safety behind them is going to get after it behind them. So, obviously, the more time, the better, but... I don't. Know, I, I don't have have too many doubts about them. My my main concern is that is that division is is absolutely insane this year. So it might be that look their transition is going really really well, but these quarterbacks are obviously still going to be putting up points on them. Yeah. Do you do you think teams like the Raiders who are going from Gus Bradley to Patrick Graham like do you think that transition is going to be tough for? corners like Trayvon Mullen or even like Rockison who played in a primarily like cover two scheme with Matt Eberflus last year. Like, do you think the transition period will be tough for the corners, edge linebackers, and, you know, basically everyone on the defense? That's, that is a really good question. I think that some of these systems are going to require not necessarily more, but just different from the cornerbacks. I think when we think a lot of these two I systems, we draw up on paper or, Defenses have numbers on both sides, but a lot of times it comes down to the can you cover one on one on the backside of three by one, and that is that's that's not easy, and that I think is really where a lot of the money in the NFL is made. Is and another reason why I love the Shannon system is just focusing on like how do I get my best matchup. So yeah. I'm always I always get scared for the for cornerbacks in these systems because you know they do have to do a lot, and there are ways for pressure get taken off of them, whether it's kind of looking like a cover two look over them where they can play kind of below it. But I mean, number one, I imagine, I think it is, you can check the numbers for me on this, but the number one coverage that I see on third and seven, eight, nine is, you know, cover one cross, but some sort of man variation. So really in these zone systems at some point, regardless of your technique, there's going to be a receiver running around in your area that you're going to have to cover. So I do think a lot of those skills translate, but again, it's really trusting and understanding, well, what is my responsibility when the offense's routes express in a certain way? And I think that that is really an art that, you know, not all college systems require it and not really not all pro systems require it. And I think that Brandon Staley maybe talked about, you know, like sitting in interviews with players and kind of pausing step-by-step and seeing, well, okay, like when number two comes out, where is your head at and what is your process ability? So, you know, I am curious to see, well, how much of it, this learning process and how much of the learning curve is able to happen when these guys are running full speed at you. So it'll be, you know, again, I, I really am rooting for pretty much everyone in the league. So I, I am hopeful for them, but it'll be fun to see, especially watching the games, you know, against the Chargers and the Chiefs and, and even the Broncos this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and cover one cross was uh, what the Broncos used to like really smother the Cowboys in in that midseason game, right? 
yeah, there's this uh, like gorgeous clip of like three guys passing things off. And that's a really example of what I think of when I think of a high find. Like there's actually there's this clip of the preseason uh, from the Bears this this year or like a few days ago against the Seahawks where, yeah, like can you pass off your route to another person and really like have smooth enough hips to turn back and then know that you have to look to the other side. And even just thinking about it now, like I'm sitting in my chair kind of doing this turning thing that really no one can see. But it's, it's, it's complicated, right? And for you to be able to do that at full speed is, again, it's an art. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be hard for people to learn that stuff right away. But, you know, these are professional football players. And I think they're going to be able to do it at a high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, d- definitely. And yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it's a, it's a big adjustment period. And, you know, like the, the other, the other kind of like thing that we talked about on the other side of the ball uh, adjustments wise is like, you know, there's, there's certain offenses that start, start like really hot every year, but, but kind of like fade throughout the season. And uh, I think like Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury are kind of, you know, I I don't want to say notorious, but kind of like examples of that happening. Like, what do you, what do you usually notice as the season goes on with like the Rams and Cardinals offenses and like why this trend keeps happening every year where the offenses rank very highly at the beginning of the year and then taper off uh, middle of the year and, and end of the season. Well, I think the Cardinals are a, certainly a separate kind of thing. And, you know, if I did have a great answer to these, I I think that I'd probably be wearing an NFL team's logo on my on my dry fit shirt right now. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. Of course, for McVay, maybe you could say, okay, well, during the Goff years, oh, like he held them back or something like that. But even with Stafford last year, I think that even McVay said, he's like, we made our menu too big pretty much. That McVay is known really for, you know, his – early season installs are maybe less, but his game plans are super, super thick. Mm-hmm. And so when you're someone who obviously has that much experience and really the possibilities on that team are like kind of endless based on really McVay's knowledge and Stafford's arm. I just think that maybe their menu got too big and they started to kind of come back and simplify things. And of course they had injuries and things to deal with, with that too. And I, I think really these coaches get paid a ton of money because of the way that they can adjust. And, of course, you're playing in, in division, and, you know, the 49ers have a great defense, for example, and those two have to face the 49ers twice a year. And, obviously, the guys on the other side of the ball get paid, too. So, man, I, I wish I had some silver bullet answer, but I really think it is it's a little bit of injuries. It's a little bit of bad luck here and there. Obviously, the Cardinals, again, they're a different situation to me where their offense – you know, if you're relying on one or two players to really like win jump balls all the time, obviously your your success isn't going to be super super sustainable. I am, you know, I'm I'm going to be optimistic with the Cardinals. Hopefully, Kyle Meyer, you know, I'm sure he's watching this film this year. But I know the Rams have done a lot. <laughs> I've done a lot with kind of monitoring Stafford's arm and kind of keeping him comfortable through that. And I'm, you know, I'm excited to see how Allen Robinson in that offense. And then I'm assuming maybe if OBJ kind of comes back, really having just a, a unique, unique set of skills for everyone to kind of use together. Yeah. If OBJ comes back to that offense, I I don't even want to know what McVay has planned. And I mean, the, the Rams have the best sports science staff in the NFL. So I, I have really no doubt that Stafford will, will be fine as when the season starts and McVay's probably him and Andy Reid are like the two best September play callers. So, um, yeah, the early season installs will be will be very fun. Um, are there any like specific like route combos or play designs you really like to look, dive deeper into? I'm not I'm not gonna let you pick wide zone because you have a whole thread about that. But but anything else from any scheme that you enjoy that talking about or looking diving deeper into? I think that when you watch a lot of these teams. One of the easiest things, for example, for my eyes to pick out on, especially the TV broadcast, is they just run these routes where one they call like stick China or drag China, where basically one guy will just run straight to the flat and then kind of loop back into the middle, if that's an okay explanation. But really, they're they're kind of function as double moves, but they're only like five or six yards away from the line of scrimmage. So one is where they run stick, where their guy's running just four or five yards, kind of breaking over his outside shoulder, but then coming back inside. And so, again, it's not a double move in the same sense that a hitch and go or some, like, big post corner is. But they really do manipulate kind of coverage rules because a lot of coverages are based on, well, what is this receiver breaking, right? And if he's breaking out, I need to go to him now. My whole entire body is going out towards him. 
And if he's going to cut back at full speed, that's going to be really hard for me to cover. So I think there's a clip last year of OBJ, or really just, you know, go on our Twitter, just type in Choice Stucco or Lucky Jaguar. Uh, I think that Kyle Shannon had a press conference recently where one of the former players was like, oh, what is your favorite pass concept? And are like on a tough down. He said Lucky Jaguar, and that's like a stick nod, a stick China. And on the backside, they ran it against the Packers. I can't tell you how many times in the playoffs where George Kittle just really has a two-way go. So if you think about the idea behind that is like, okay, maybe we have this kind of complicated pass concept, but really all we want to do is we want to put our best player on maybe a player that we think they can be. We want to give our guy two ways to go, right? We want to be right every single time on our route. And if they force force it, force them down with a double or something, we're going to have another way to go. So really these small things that you'll, I promise you, you'll notice it on film. Every time you see someone break out and then come back in, that's really kind of a hallmark of the system that I love to see. And one of the teams I'm so, so excited for this year is the Vikings because of obviously Justin Jefferson. I mean, one of the best receivers in the league and kind of seeing how him and then obviously Adam Thielen work in that system together. It's, I think those guys are just going to be running wide open a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. I'm I'm very excited about the Vikings offense this year. I think I really trust Kevin O'Connell to do a lot of stuff. So like the thing about Justin Jefferson to me is it's been insanely impressive that he's been able to put up elite receiving offense or, or elite receiving production in offense that isn't designed for him, like how the Rams offense is designed for Cooper Cup. And, you know, they, they do stuff to like hide Cooper cup, put him in bunch sets, you know, and he, he cup plays primarily out of the slot. Justin Jefferson has to play primarily out of the outside, you know, usually facing the number one corner when cup gets matched up on a linebacker more than anyone in the league, uh, according to, to Timo Riske at, at PFF. And so Jefferson is, is if he's being, you know, able to move around this year, being put in the slot more, you know. KJ Osborne could take a step up. What I talked about earlier with Dalvin Cook moving to the receivers. I think there's a lot of fun things you can do with that with that offense. And I think I think yeah, the Vikings offense is is going to be really really good this year, and and probably should make up for you know their defensive struggles that that they'll probably have. And the parallel to cut is kind of interesting because obviously the 49ers kind of had their stuff with Debo Samuel in the backfield, maybe a little bit out of necessity, but. You can look up highlights of Cup from the backfield. And then there are some of Jefferson in the backfield too. And like you said, if you're playing on the outside, playing one-on-one, look, I trust Justin Jefferson to win a decent amount of those matchups. But really the concept behind you know having a receiver in the backfield, look, they cannot get pressed when they're in the backfield. Mm-hmm. They do not have to deal with that. They're going to have at least maybe five yards to run downhill. And if you're an NFL linebacker and Justin Jefferson is running five yards straight at you, you're probably, even if you're going to patter your feet a little bit, you're going to maybe tense up a little bit, right? Knowing that he can go vertical, he can go out, he can break in, or he can stop, right? As opposed to on the outside, of course, there is a huge route tree on the outside, but it's interesting to see when those guys get in the backfield. And of course, there, there are drawbacks to that, whether if, if teams blitz it or not, but being able to see, okay, we're going to put a, a receiver with a lot of shake in the backfield. And even, you know, I kind of want to see more of that from Jamar Chase, who is who is an obvious stud uh, and, and is an incredible ball winner. And I hope that he continues that that kind of ball win streak. And obviously the Bengals have Tyler Boyd, so he doesn't have to do as much of the slot. But I'd be just interested to see kind of more of him in there and not just having to win those balls on the outside. Yeah, Sean, I, I don't know if it's you know, because we're all South Asian here, but we think so alike. <laughs> like I, I, I literally put out a tweet like two or three weeks ago, like talking about receivers being lined up in the backfield. So here, like here are some numbers. So when a receiver lines up in the backfield, regardless if they're the target or not, the offense averages about 0.1 EPA per play, which is like, that's pretty solid. When a receiver lines up in the backfield and they're targeted, so the, the receiver lined up at, in the backfield is targeted the offense averages about 0.35 epa per play which is the best passing offense in the nfl and it's funny because when i when i tweeted this out i actually had someone who who works for an nfl team like dm me saying like stop like posting this like you're giving out all the good secrets like i need to i need to go send this to my head coach and and show them why i need to put x receiver in the backfield more often and so it's it's pretty funny and I, i like the way you think i'm sure that's how a lot of smart people in the NFL think as well. And I mean, 
obviously there's reasons why you can't just line up a receiver in the backfield. Some, I mean, there's only so many routes a receiver can run angle choice, Texas route. Um, but it, it is really cool how, you know, you, you think similar to similarly to us and, and uh, some very smart people um, in the NFL. Yeah. I think that's a good example of really film and numbers kind of coming together. Cause I think you can come to that conclusion both ways and they both support it. Right. Cause when I see the clip of Justin Jefferson, just cooking a guy on the hash, that signals to me, oh, maybe it's cool to have the receivers in the backfield and for you to kind of be able to put the numbers behind that. And then, hey, look, you know, the, the, again, I, I feel most for the defensive coaches here. I really feel like I'm a defensive guy at heart. And it's, well, how do we figure that out? You know, whether it's kind of having two in that way or maybe we just have to kind of blitz the quarterback. So being able to see, well, okay, our EPA has tri almost tripled with this guy in the backfield. Now, what are defenses kind of doing that can beat that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think like a solution and, you know, I'm not as versed with this stuff as as you are is kind of having, you know, a, a double mug pressure or maybe, you know, an extra blitzer off the edge because, you know, when a receiver lines up in the backfield, chances are they are going to run a route, right? Like when when running backs line up in the backfield, there's, you know, a good shot that they're actually staying into block. And so if you do send an extra blocker and the running back picks them up, then the offense is at a huge advantage. But if you can get that extra rusher, you know, free, like headed at the quarterback, whether it's double mug or or slot blitz or something similar to that, I think there is a, a pathway there to stop the offense. But, you know, when when you're playing against these top quarterbacks like a Mahomes or, you know, these these different quarterbacks that just eat blitzes alive, it's it's tough to do that as a defensive guy, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, yeah, great point in thinking that this receiver – it's more likely they're not going to run a route, right? So we can treat it like he's almost outside. But if we're going to bring a quick pressure and a quarterback's really sometimes is looking hot, a lot of times when they're looking hot, it's going to be that running back anyway. So it's almost like we're feeding into that. So, I mean, just like one example could be like a two-for-one funnel where you have really two guys looking at him where one guy has him inside, one guy has him outside. But yeah, getting more close to Justin Jefferson, just cooking people on the hash. I'm excited for that. <laughs> So, yeah, Sean, you, you mentioned how you're kind of a defense guy. Like, if you were, like, a coach for an NFL team or, or even, like, a collegiate team that um, kind of, like, leverages analytics and data, uh, what type of, like, data would you be interested in to help you out with defensive play calling or, or game planning for a specific opponent? I think that early downs are really something that, just need not best need to be focused on more, but early down EPA is something I think is huge to me. Like, is this a team that is going to waste their first down and run into the line and kind of get one yard? Or is it a team that has a high early down pass percentage? I think that we, we call them par downs, pass and run down. That also is going to influence your coverage shell, right? You can't just be in as much just base personnel kind of trying to fit the run if you're going to have a team that's going to be passing so often on first down. That and, you know, big play percentage, I think it's a huge one. How are the the explosive plays being created is it on the ground is it something where a team's just like not fitting the run properly or you're just seeing like just totally uneven box counts and things like that i think from the offensive end looking the other way just seeing yeah box count would be a huge one right what's the coverage shell how how much is movement kind of involved with it and then maybe maybe something just so much more narrow is just like the separation numbers i think that that's something that uh one of the big datables or something like that took a peek at where look separation in coverage is just huge and now the schematic explanation maybe they're supposed to be or there is a built-in where it's kind of a, a, a country cover three where you're just dropping to an area but to see using that to kind of find the holes in defenses i think that that would be a really good one as well yeah i know i, I love those and that's why i think you know we've we've talked about this before is you know, when you can use a mixture of film and data, it really like gets the most out of you as a football analyst or you're working for a team or anything. That's why, you know, it's it's often like the the analytics side of Twitter and the film side of Twitter, you know, usually seems like at war and wanting to disagree on stuff in general. But when there's accounts like you that mix both of them together, I think that's that, that's like really when we get the best type of analysis. So it's really cool to like hear, you know, you kind of reference EPA and different stuff that you think like an analytics staffer could do to help you if you were game planning as uh, as like a defensive coordinator in the league, for example. You know, that means a lot. And I think that 
look, every NFL team uses numbers in some sort of way, right? Whether it's the quality of number, maybe it's a different thing, but I know that they look at how many times they ran the ball and how many times they passed the ball. They probably look at their completion percentage at the very least. Now, are they looking at like air yards per target? Maybe, maybe not <laughs> as much, but for people to just totally kind of cabin themselves off as I'm only film or I'm only numbers, I think that that does a disservice to the game as a whole. Now, you should consume the game how you want to consume it, right? Mm-hmm. You should absolutely, like, well, a lot of us are doing this for fun. Like, it is a very fun thing. But there, it's just such a good way for you to focus your eyes in a certain way by having a certain data set. Or I could tell you about a certain scheme that's going to make you want to look at kind of a certain, a creative kind of a database in a certain way. So I think it just, it just makes so much sense to be able to use the most. And really, like, a lot of this is us guessing, right? Because we're not in those rooms, right? Like, I don't get to sit next to, I would love to, but sitting next to Kyle Shanahan and asking him, well, why do you have the fullback go to the mic on this play, right? Is this actually your tag? Or is that actually what happened, right? We're just doing it kind of on our eyes whenever NFL Plus releases the All-22 a lot of the times. And so it's it's educated guessing, certainly. It's not just blind guessing, but more information, the better, right? It, I think it makes it, a better product. I think it makes more people getting involved and maybe just maybe you know, strong opinions just loosely held, right? We can, we're all wrong all the mm. time. And we, can, <laughs> we can use each other to kind of correct ourselves. Yeah. I know person is 100% right. I think that's something I found out in my first like real year on Twitter. Um, but Sean, I think that was a great answer for us to, to wrap up. You know, we really appreciate your time. And this was a very long talk that we, I mean, I enjoyed speaking with you a lot and, and hearing your wise words. Um, for our listeners, you can find Sean's account and his brother's account um, on Twitter at Syed Schemes, S-Y-E-D Schemes. Um, make sure to go give him a follow. Probably one of the best, if not the best film stuff out there. And I mean, you have pretty much unfiltered access to playbooks that I never thought I'd be able to see. Uh, but Sean, is there is there anything else you want to plug? Anything else you want to say before we, before we let you go? I just want to thank you guys so much. You know, I know you guys are both on uh pacific time right now i'm in texas on central standard time getting a little late but glad we could get the call in and look if anyone you have any question or something dm me i'm more than happy to tell you that i don't know the answer but i think more than likely than i'll be able to point you to someone that maybe does so you know film guys ask ask analytics guys some questions and vice versa maybe that make make that your new football year resolution yeah sean really appreciate it again and uh you know we'll transition to our better the week segment We really appreciate Sean from Syed Schemes for taking the time to talk to us today. We really enjoyed that conversation with him. Be sure to check out his work on Twitter. Now we will go into our bet and unhinged tweet of the week. And since we missed doing the bet last week, we are going to do two bets, one each uh, this week. So, you know, Arjun, I'm starting to look ahead to week one lines. You know, it's getting very close to the actual season starting. And the one that's really jumping out to me right now is Chargers minus three and a half at home to the Raiders in week one. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, I want to be on the Chargers side often this year. And, you know, the the most prime time to do that is week one, you know, you have this kind of energy around the Chargers this year that kind of makes me, reminds me of the Rams last year as they're stacking up on all these players, getting, you know, Cleo Mack and JC Jackson, Sebastian Joseph Day uh, on defense. And then the offense kind of seems like they're on a mission this year, right? They want to convert a lot of fourth downs. Uh, you know, there's a really good Staley article in The Athletic talking about his aggressiveness on fourth downs. And you can kind of just see how he uses analytics in other aspects of the game. So, you know, the Chargers are, are you know, high-end Super Bowl contenders this year, like we talked about on, on last week's episode. And then the Raiders last year, you know, uh, won five games on a game-winning field goal. We're 8-1 in one-score games. Their offensive line might be the worst offensive line in the NFL. And so, you know, as much as I like Derek Carr throwing to Waller, Adams, and Renfro, I think their offensive line and their defense just aren't going to be good enough to keep up with the Chargers on the road in in the first week of the season. Yeah, that's – look, I love the bet. I, you know, I'm obviously rooting for my Chargers. And, I mean, I – I don't really bet on charger games unless I'm like putting an emotional hedge, which I did in week 18 last year. And so I, I like the bet and 
like I said, like you said, Chargers at home, home opener, all these new pieces. It's going to be tough to kind of figure out what the Chargers defense is going to be doing. Historically, I would say the Raiders have started out really hot, but under Josh McDaniels, it's not going to be starting out hot like they did under John Gruden. So I definitely like the bet. And it's pretty funny that you did Chargers minus three and a half because my bet is actually a Chargers related bet. And it's a player prop, which I haven't given out. And it's going to be Justin Herbert under 13 and a half interceptions. Um, so this one you can find on DraftKings um, under 13 and a half minus 110 standard player prop line. And it's pretty simple. Justin Herbert threw more interceptions than he had turnover worthy plays last year. Um, Justin Herbert had the lowest turnover worthy play rate in the NFL last year. 1.6% of his throws were graded as a turnover worthy play. Football Outsiders also did a study on interceptions and found that Justin Herbert was the NFL's most unlucky quarterback. Um, at pretty much every like interceptable ball was caught by the defense. And, you know, we see a lot of like picks being dropped, like easy picks being dropped by defenses and uh, defenders just didn't do that versus Herbert, which is kind of ironic given how hard Herbert throws the ball and um, football outsiders projected Herbert to throw only 11.5 interceptions as compared to the 15. So we can expect to see some regression on that end and seeing that Herbert had more turnover worthy plays and or more interceptions and turnover worthy plays, those things tend to regress to the mean. Also, and finally, the Chargers are expected to be better on defense this year. And um, in that facet, they should be throwing the ball much less at the end of games. Like Justin Herbert, you look at his like total win probability added or total EPA um, in the fourth quarter. It was always number one or number two in 2021. That's also a kind of a, of a kind of a result of the number of times he's had to throw. So I think you dial that back a little bit because the Chargers should theoretically be winning in more games this year and earlier in games this year because of how uh, hopefully improved their defense is. And so Justin Herbert won't be throwing the ball as much as he did last year, which should help to lower his interception total by at least two going into 2022. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that a lot. Yeah, I think Justin Herbert got pretty unlucky with his interceptions last year, especially when you cite the turnover worthy play rate and, you know, something that Ed Fang um, at Power Rank on Twitter uh, has researched a lot is how unstable interceptions are year to year. So just because, you know, Herbert threw good amount of interceptions last year doesn't mean that he's going to throw that this year. And if anything, it'll probably regress the other way. And he probably should get a pretty lucky this year just because of the law of averages and everything. So, you know, if, yeah, football outsiders, I, I trust their modeling process with a lot of the stuff. So if they put them at, you know, 11.5 interceptions and his prop is 13 and a half, I'd, I, I do like taking the under there. I think that's a good find on, on DraftKings. Yeah. And, and real quick, before we do the unhinge, um, this was actually the last bet I placed before I left Michigan two weeks ago. And at the time this comes out, I'll, we'll, pretty much both be back in Michigan on campus. And also Eric, our friend, Eric Eager wrote this up as his favorite chargers bet on pff.com, which you can go find um, on pff.com. And, and so it's good to see some sharp minds also align with this, with this bet. And obviously that was vindication that I kind of bet it before Eric did, but it was good that he saw the same vision as I did. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always good to see, Eric and and other people in the industry that we really respect kind of have similar thought process to us. Definitely vindicates a lot of our processes and everything. But yeah, no, those I'm glad we we both had Chargers themes bets there. Um, you know, very very cool for you. Uh, a lot of excitement around them this year. Uh, unhinged tweet. Uh, so Sam McQuan or McQueen or something from. Uh, he, I, I think he's a reporter in, in the Nebraska area. It's not necessarily his tweet, but it's what was said in the tweet. So he says. Scott Frost estimates that there are 15 to 20 total vomits per practice from offensive linemen under new position coach Donovan Riola. And then there's a quote, it's not because they're not in shape. He's just working them hard. And, you know, like I'm, you know, I, I, as like a college, you know, as fellow college students, I like definitely sympathize with this. There's no way that there should be, you know, multiple offensive linemen vomiting basically every practice. Cause you know, you only carry, you know, about 20 offensive linemen. So if, if they're all vomiting every practice, that's just way too much conditioning. I don't know why Scott Frost is bragging about that. Um, it's definitely not the right way to get people, you know, excited about practicing football, getting ready for the game. It's, it, you know, it's, it's not good to be throwing up a lot of the nutrients that you take in as you're going through, uh, you know, 
uh, fall practice and everything. So very weird, you know, kind of quote from Scott Frost. And, you know, if if they play uh, Northwestern week zero and they're 12 point favorites in that game and, you know, if they lose that game, then his you know, his seat will be hotter than probably any college football coach in the country. Yeah, it's so weird because like if you're if you're a coach, you kind of want your offensive linemen to hold their mass, right? Like you don't want them losing weight before the season even starts. And so losing out all that nutrients and all, all of the mass that you lose from throwing up, I mean, that's not like something you should be proud of. Like, I mean, yeah, that probably means he's overworking them or potentially they're out of shape. But I mean, throw. I don't get how throwing up is like a vindication that you're doing you're doing the right work or you're you're coaching up your players the right way. So definitely on board with you on that. And again, I do sympathize with some of our fellow college students as they have to go through that uh, regimen that Scott Frost and his coaching staff is putting them through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, that point about you know holding their weight. I, when I was talking to our friend Sam Schwartzstein uh, a couple weeks ago, he was saying that when he was preparing for the XFL season. There's, it's hard to find, you know, offensive linemen that aren't in the NFL that are the right weight to play professional football because it's not like healthy or natural for mm-hmm. you to be at that weight necessarily. So like, yeah, like we mentioned, like if, if there's offensive linemen that are literally like throwing up their food every single day, they might not be the healthy weight that they have to be to play football this week. Like they're, you know, they're, they're playing in like a couple days here. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes. And yeah, just, just overall um, weird sentiment from, from that program uh, when that tweet came out. Yeah. going to be definitely got to keep an eye on their, their PFF uh, team along grades, <laughs> pass block and run block. Um, at the end of the season and we'll, we'll uh, revisit that quote as a, as a podcaster uh, just posting on Twitter because I think if it goes wrong then there's I mean he should be on the hot seat at least um, for, for Nebraska but but yeah this was a you know very fun podcast um, really want to thank Sean from side schemes from for coming on and and joining us for what was a very fun conversation and um, hope you guys uh, enjoyed the bets we gave out and the unhinged tweet. Um, as always, you can go find our Twitter account at Take the Points with a Z on Twitter. And until next time, 